No <laughs> fucking way. Seriously? <laughs> and I think that would have been a good idea, personally. Oh, there's Jeffrey. Hello. Hey. There's that nothing quite for- like a really satisfying bowel movement. Well, you keep that shit to yourself, quite literally. <laughs> 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 so, Jeffrey, how many people have told you that your speech pattern, the cadence, is similar to Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark? Oh, is it? Yes. Uh, you would be the first. Well, there you have it. There's number one. All right. Now that it's out there, you'll Actually, hear it more. In all honesty, Jeffrey, your voice is in my head when I, I read... The second issue of the Gerard Jones Green Lantern series, where Hal is on this fishing boat and he's with this, he's working with this guy. Boo! You get back here right now. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey. Now. Anyway, he's kind of a <laughs> kind of a burned out hippie type character, and for some reason, your voice was just like in my head. Yeah, <laughs> man. Exactly. Hey. Come on! But if no other person tells you you talk like Robert Downey Jr.'s Stark, then that could possibly be used as proof in court that Shag's insane. (laughs) (laughs) You don't shit on the floor. You're allowed in the bedroom. Now go with Mama. Damn, that's the same rules that apply in my house. (laughs) Barely. (laughs) I'm uh, I'm gonna be a good dad. Again, I didn't know if you were talking to Jeffrey or the dog. So, If you don't I, shit on the show, you'll be allowed in the podcast. <laughs> By the way, I'm starting a campaign called No Eating on Podcast 2012. Um, oh, if anyone would like to... Uh... You are no fun at all. <laughs> no, I'm not. You obviously don't tape six hours of podcasts in a row. Right. Or maybe you do. <laughs> only when I'm with you guys! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at least I'm not the only one that's fallen asleep on a fucking show. Okay. Oh, Lord. Everybody be still. Wait, this is wait, wait before you start. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Garner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Uh-huh. Fuck you and the pony you rode it on. Mm-hmm. And anyone who looks like you. And of course, Chris hey. has to be the one that's lagging back. Come on, motherfucker, what's the problem? What's You've the met him, right? Phone. You know him better than all of us. I know, I mean, like, how how is this possibly come as a shock to you? Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. The black thing. Next <laughs> year. Ring in. Brad Garrett. Is he in trying. yet? There he is. I'm in, man. He hears that all the time, by the way. Are you in yet? 
Brad Garrett was funny. <laughs> At least somebody got it. Shit, that was good. In? I thought you were making a Jim Morrison Doors reference. Scott made a No, I was making a every one of your girlfriends reference. Oh. I don't don't. Brad Garrett was... That name's familiar. Was he, in this? You mean he was on Everybody Loves Raymond. He was Trypticon <laughs> on Transformers. Trypticon, isn't that that stuff that makes you sleepy after you eat Thanksgiving turkey? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. That's, that's exactly what the fuck are you talking about? Tryptophan? Tryptophan. El, El Tryptophan. Tryptophan, Trypticon. What the hell's the difference? Loser. <laughs> Loser. <laughs> Get back to the Skype window so I can introduce everybody in here. Because you can't remember the three people you've been talking to. <laughs> Shut up. All right, here we go. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is a very special episode in which we are going to be talking about the summer blockbuster. I get, At least I think it qualifies as a blockbuster. I actually haven't been looking at how much money it's been making. But anyway, the summer movie, X-Men First Class. And joining me in this episode, as always, on Back to the Bins, Michael Bailey. Hello. We also have special guests this time around. We have Mr. Jeffrey Taylor from the From Crisis to Crisis podcast. Excellent. We have the irredeemable Shag. Hello. <laughs> you screwed up his intro. He's How did fine. I screw it up? I like you him better. How did I screw it up? No. Mike likes to say shag, and then I go, the irredeemable oh, shag. You did, you okay. did just fine. Oh, all right. So you're it's your, all right. It's your show. You can do it how you want. Don't it's my show, that, too, dick cheese. Don't <laughs> listen to that Bailey fool. He's a fool, I tell you, a fool. And then finally, some homeless dude. Hobo. Oh, got with a quarter for an old Alta boy father. <laughs> Wait, Hobo. somebody set him on fire. <laughs> with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind that you set me on fire as long as you piss me out when you're done. <laughs> Just throw me that spinach over there. All that I ask is don't throw me in the spinach patch. I think this is how all X Men podcasts should start. It should actually. I'll talk to J. David Weeder about that. <laughs> well, uh, I, I am what I am. <laughs> no, it is my two true freaks co-host and best friend Chris Honeywell. Hey, hey. So, Michael, I'm yes. going to put it to you first on this one to give us your thoughts on X Men First Class because this episode is completely your fault. Um, when I walked into X-Men First Class, I expected to be entertained, but not blown away. Um, it was kind of like how I felt about Wolverine, you know, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. While there are parts of that movie I really like, uh, there's also parts of that movie that have glaring plot holes that you can drive a semi through. I think um, they did in that movie, actually. I, I was right the fuck <laughs> out of the fact, and I know Jack said the same thing that I actually said to my wife when we were getting out of the theater. Um, I've got a... It's... Shut up. Is <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that to your wife. Uh, Whatever you're about to say, I did not say it to your wife. Um, 
How about a Hummer on the ride home? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Maybe I did. <laughs> wait, you guys got a Hummer? That's cool. That's a lot of gas, man. Uh, oh, 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 oh! It took like five seconds to just take this thing completely off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the fucking trailer for Super 8. Suddenly, so <laughs> um, it's not only a good superhero film, it was a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, the um, pros, every bit of the cast except January Jones, who just needs to shut the fuck up. Every time she opened her mouth, it's like the film's... It's like, do I have to really watch her talk? Because she was obviously hired because she looks good in that outfit. Um, and she love, did a good job at that. Yes, she did. Uh, Kevin Bacon was in it, so it has like 16 cool points right there. Um, he played the best Bond villain ever. Uh, the... Uh, I really liked the wait, fact. Wait, wait, wait! I'm sorry. Back up. I missed something there. Who played the best Bond villain ever? Kevin Bacon. In this. Oh, movie. I'm. I'm sorry. I, yeah. Okay. I got you. I got you. I completely missed what you were saying. I like the fact that Professor Xavier was kind of a scumbag in this movie. He was like the powers. Uh, he. I mean, the first time we see him, he's drinking. And he's trying to pick up a woman, and he really pretty much does the drinking throughout the entire film. If you see him in a scene, he usually has a drink in his hand, unless it's an action sequence. And even then, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I really liked James McAvoy in the role. Really liked the girl that played Mystique, because she was not your typical Hollywood starlet. She had some meat on her bones. She looks like a girl from the 60s, and looked really good in go-go boots. Uh, and I actually felt bad for her because of the story arc they took her on. Um, and you, it, it's like she was in love with three different guys in this film. And I love the fact that when she comes on to Magneto and she's like flashing into her like her mystique look, when he goes, I want you a little older, they actually flash in Rebecca Romaine for two seconds. Yes. That was which cool. was just free. I was like, oh, it was subtle. Blink and you miss it because I had to point it out to a couple people. Um Far and away, the scene stealer in this movie was Magneto. Mm -hmm. He was fucking awesome throughout this. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know who said it, but I really want just a fucking movie of Magneto hunting down Nazis in the early. Fuck yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. He shit. Well, you know, that's how this movie started. Was uh, yeah. X Men yes. Origins Magneto? But that scene in South America. When he's like, you know, ingratiating himself with the Germans, and then they realize he's there to fucking kill them. <laughs> yeah, he he slowly lets them know what, yeah, that what's it, going on. That was beautiful. Oh, man, and just and the fact that they put him in the old school '60s helmet right there at the end was just fucking awesome. But really, he the the great thing about this movie is that Kevin Bacon, Sebastian Shaw was Magneto in the first X Men movie. And the only reason he got killed at the end was because he killed Magneto's mother. It would have been like, he would have been, Magneto would have been on this dude's side if it wasn't for that small little mishap. <laughs> um, really liked Beast, surprisingly. Uh, even after he beasted out and didn't really look all that, didn't look as good as I think he could have. Uh, Ditto, dude. I completely agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. 
best cameo of the film, was not expecting it, and when it happened, the entire theater fucking lit up. That reminds oh, yeah. me, we forgot to throw out a spoiler warning at the beginning of this show. We probably will spoil some stuff. I don't know if we want to spoil that, because that was pretty fucking cool. That was pretty cool. Did, well, okay. by, by, but hold on, guys. But by the very nature of saying that we're not going to talk about it, and it's a cameo, they already know what we're talking about. Not necessarily. Not if they haven't seen the okay. movie. I, I will uh, say, then, then to, to just refer to it as the cameo, Right. it was totally unexpected and totally fucking welcome. Oh, come on. It was Nick Fury. I mean, I totally do not, not expect tell to see him. Nick Fury at the end of this movie because they're, yeah. they're two completely different film companies. I really yeah, I did not like expect said, that they were going to do the Avenger thing at the end of this, and they did, and I was like, holy shit. That I was, a, that was pretty witty. When, you know, Ryan Reynolds went back to his apartment and there was Nick Fury sitting there with the, with the power battery. You know, telling him he's part of a, a bigger universe. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, and I the just end of the it, Superman porno. I just thought it was a little inappropriate for them to use Bill Bixby's corpse in the scene. <laughs> I did. Banner. That's yeah. that was a that was a fair get. Yeah, Bill Bixby's not using it. Exactly. <laughs> Make it. It's a fair point. The um, the action in the film was good. Uh, the final scene was a little wonky. The, the 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 problems I have with this film outside of January Jones uh, were that sometimes it felt a little too hokey, like a little too cheesy. Like sometimes they're playing it completely straight, and then there's the scene with the general towards the end where Sebastian Shaw is sitting there telling him what he's going to do, and then all of his minions appear. It just it just felt a little out of place. Uh, I really am annoyed with myself that I didn't know that they were filming on Jekyll Island in that final scene on the beach, because that's like a hop, skip, and a jump from where I am. Uh, though I didn't really get to go over to Atlanta Motor Speedway and see the zombie invasion either, so... Do you uh, hop and skip often? Uh, only when I'm around you, Shag. Oh. Uh, <laughs> May we get video of that, please? <laughs> I gotta go. be singing. I feel pretty. Over here, Jim. Somebody got it. The twist at the end with Charles Xavier. Actually, there were audible gasps throughout the entire theater, even though everybody knew it was coming. We just didn't know how it was going to happen. I, I didn't, didn't expect it was going to happen in this movie, to be honest. I didn't think it would either. Um, I don't but, remember what it is. But there were other little things. <laughs> like, when uh, he had well, sex with Nick Fury. Oh, you yes. know, it, whatever it was, it happened. He gets the explosive squirts. <laughs> um, it was really great seeing Oliver Platt in this movie, because I like seeing him in every movie, because I think he's a phenomenal actor. Um I also liked the fact that when the CIA people were sitting around, the one guy said, my son, William Stryker. Mm-hmm. There little nods that this was part of the main X-Men continuity, and it actually right. works. Uh, with when they, when they revealed that Mystique aged slowly, it's like, okay, that freaking works. I, I understand that. that. That actually works for me, and that's kind of cool. Um, just all around... One of the best comic book films ever. Uh, I, I won't say it's like better than Superman the movie or the first Iron Man film, uh, but it's up there for me now. 
And uh, that, that I'm done with now. You guys go. I'm out of here. Well, no. I uh, I went uh, safe for Shag, who joined us late in the episode. I went tail uh, tail end last last time. Um, I, I really want to go after Mike in this one. I wanted to let Mike go first because this this episode really was um, Mike's fault because he went to see it and I saw you know he had a bunch of stuff he was posting up on Facebook about it, but then he started personally uh, texting me personally. And saying, you know, stuff like, holy shit, dude, you really got to go see this movie. I can't believe it's fucking awesome and all this. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, I don't know. I'd seen the trailers and all, and it wasn't like I looked at it. I'll be honest. I looked at Green Lantern trailers, and every single one of them made me just more and more disinterested in that particular movie. That didn't necessarily happen with First Class, but none of them won me over enough. And none of them were like, I really got to go see this. But I went to see it for two reasons. For one, you know, Mike kept kept telling me how awesome it was and everything, and I and I trust Mike's opinion on movies. Um, but then I found out that my youngest boy really wanted to go see this. My wife was like, "Are you taking Logan to see that X Men thing that's coming out?" And I was like, "Does he want to see that?" You know, because he hadn't told me. So I t- I took him. You know, we have a, a five dollar Tuesdays here at the local theater. So I took him. I figured, what the hell? I'll risk ten bucks. We'll go. If it sucks, you know, I suffer for an hour and a half, and then I go home. You know. And I gotta be honest with you, I seriously need to reevaluate my top five list of favorite superhero movies ever, because this one is most definitely on it. It could possibly be number two at this point, because I fucking loved this movie. I, you know, it's so funny that maybe part of it is the fact that I really didn't give a shit to see it. I mean, I, I really had zero interest, so maybe the fact that I walked in with completely like no expectations whatsoever maybe that had something to do with it but the biggest thing for me was that uh i I just walked away with the impression that this is how you do uh, you know the quote-unquote real world comic book movie that everybody keeps praising christopher nolan for having done with the batman movies and i personally feel like he epically failed you know, this to me was was that movie. That's what I expected to see when everybody kept saying those things about the the Nolan Batman films. You know, this is the kind of thing I I wanted from those from those films because I felt like this took the subject matter, which some of it is pretty patently ridiculous. I mean, some of the characters and some of their powers are kind of silly. They're kind of comic booky, but it just believed in the material and presented it so uh, earnestly that it makes you buy into the mythology and it makes you overlook even some of the most ridiculous of concepts. I like that. That to me is how you sell a comic book movie is you just, you believe in it and you don't poke fun at yourself and you don't go into it all tongue-in-cheek and all half-assed, but you go into it wholeheartedly and you make it believable. You sell it to the audience. They completely sold me on this movie. They sold me with characters that both, you know, I, I didn't like, or I didn't know, or I didn't care about, but by the end of the movie, I was like, damn, I liked everybody that was in this movie. That that was impressive to me. That was a hell of a trick to pull off. And, uh, you know, I don't want to bust too much on a comparison with, with, Chris, with Christopher Nolan, but uh, <laughs> I had put something up right after seeing this on Facebook about... You know, I joked about, well, now I'll have to send Christopher Nolan a ticket so he can go see what a real comic book movie looks like, you know? And then uh, I think it was Jeff Curdy sent me his actual address, which was kind of like a here, put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. So I thought that was funny. Um, 
couple of just a qu couple of quick uh, first impression kind of things. Um, an amazing, amazing score in this movie. I had never even heard of Henry Jackman before. I, I have no idea what other things he's done. He's but Hugh's I, brother. Hugh's brother. It, are they related? No, I'm fucking with you. Oh no, I thought I thought you might be serious. <laughs> I, I was it, thinking it that not, it would not surprise me at all if if you I know, was if, thinking that. Yeah. But uh, I was amazed by his score because it's not very often that, you know, there's a, a film composer I haven't heard of or at least heard some piece of their work. I'd never heard of this guy, so I was really, again, had very low expectations of, of the score. I figured we'd get like, you know, like a video game soundtrack or something. I love this. I've been listening to it, listening to it nonstop since I got it. I think it's great. Um, I do think that the first track on the album, which I can't remember if it's the the theme of the movie or not, but the first track on the album, I think it owes a little bit too much to uh, the opening of Tron Legacy, but that's a minor, you know, minor quibble because I like that track. But uh, I, I do think somebody had been listening to that score when they wrote this one. But beyond that, I thought it was great. The biggest thing for me in this, the thing that absolutely won me over, and again, it's so funny because I just frankly always considered that, wow, I couldn't give a shit less about this character, was Michael Fassbender as Magneto. I just, I've never been a Magneto fan. I always thought he was kind of dull. And he was one of the things I felt was a bit of a slog in all the other X-Men movies. He was fucking amazing in this movie. You know, the scene that you touted about, you know, where he goes to South America to, to hunt Nazis, I would totally put my ass in a theater seat to see an entire movie of him doing that. That was one of the things that really won me over in this. But his portrayal was was just amazing. He reminds me, and it's so funny that, um, oh, I can't remember the actress's name, but the actress that plays um, Emma Frost, it's so funny that she's on that show Mad Men, because this Michael Fassbender guy reminds me of the guy that she's married to on John that Hamm. show, John Hamm. He totally reminds me of John Hamm. Let me ask you something. This this was a weird thought I had during the scene where Charles helps him unlock his full potential. Mm -hmm. When he was sitting there fucking smiling, didn't he look like the Joker? That smile looked really forced. Yeah. I, I can't remember. Are you talking where he moves this, the satellite? Yeah. Scene? I guess I'd have to see it again, he, to be honest with you. He had this really creepy smile on his face, and I'm like, dude, I would totally buy this guy could, as the Joker. He, he could make a good Joker. Hell, I think he could make a good most anything. He was an yeah. amazing actor in this. But he's he's really the thing that, that was uh, what, was what won me over. I mean, I, I honestly, I enjoyed most all, every character that was in this, but it really, it was... I don't know if it was intended to be his story, but I look at this movie as this was his story. And I, he just won me over. He really impressed the shit out of me with, with his performance in that role. And I liked him as, you know, almost like the, the angel of vengeance type of portrayal. I'm always a sucker for those. I mean, hell, that's why I like the Punisher and Batman and characters like that. In, in a lot of ways, this was, uh, you know like the mutant Punisher. I love that. I, I love the fact that he was hunting down these evil bastards that had, you know, done the Holocaust. And I, like I say, I would totally be in for, for them doing a movie of nothing but that. But uh, he did really remind me of John Hamm. And he reminded me of the character that, that John Hamm plays on Mad Men. I got a serious Mad Men vibe from this whole movie. And I think it was because of the era it was set in. 
And that was one of the biggest things, you know, that that also hit me with this movie is this is something I had wanted to see for a long, long time because so many of Marvel's characters began in the 60s and so their roots are heavily entrenched in the 60s i liked that with this it really worked with this and i can't help but wonder if i would have embraced the the first spider-man movie for example much more than i did if it had been a period you know period piece similar to this one where it was in the 60s rather than trying to modernly update you know that story but you know that's kind of here nor there but um I was impressed with the uh, the young Magneto's, you know, that they used the <coughs> footage from the young Magneto scene at the beginning of X-Men. How did they pull that off? Because that kid would have aged, what, like 10 years since that first movie came out? Did they reshoot the scenes of that actor? I'm not sure how they did that. You guys know? I'm I thought it was the actual that footage. I, I'm fairly certain that it was a different kid and they were they actually reshot the whole thing to make it look as close to the original as possible. That's what I and was I, And I think they I think they did a very good job with it, but it, it was a different kid. I'm looking it up on IMDb right now. Yeah, I was wondering about that cuz I know they used the music because I happened to even note as the credits were rolling at the end of the movie that um, Michael Kamen was credited. Yeah. And the name of that piece from the score was credited too. So I kind of wondered did they use that scene you know, right from the movie, or did they kind of re, you know, reshoot at least the young Magneto part with the the more modern actor? But one way or the other, it was impressive because it blended seamlessly. I thought that was great. Kevin Bacon was unreal, and the scene where uh, he makes Magneto, you know, young Magneto, unleash his full potential. I mean, it had me with tears running down my eyes. I mean, I was just moved so much by that scene. It was amazing, and that kid, the young kid actor was brilliant. I mean, you really felt his his rage and his uh, anguish in that. I, I was very impressed with that. Um, I, I noticed... The, I'm sorry? I think the moral of the story is don't kill Magneto's mother and everything yeah. will be fine. <laughs> yeah, you'll be alright. <laughs> good, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys notice that Moira McTaggart had absolutely no hint of an accent whatsoever? I noticed that with Banshee and it kind of pissed me off. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. Oh my with, god, I didn't notice that's, it. With that's Banshee. part of my shtick when I when I when I take my turn. I'm oh, gonna okay. talk about that. Uh, back I also, the fuck off my territory. Okay. I also noticed that uh, they committed the cardinal sin of science fiction and killed the only fucking black character in the film. <laughs> I wondered about. I, I saw that. you post on Facebook about that. He got a hero- he got a heroic death though. It wasn't yeah. just like it, he didn't just get blown up. He got to be heroic, you know. And, and still, and, it's but it was really obvious. I mean, usually, yeah. just totally, it's like, oh look, it's oh okay. <laughs> usually, I am really, really, really shit about. Um, you know, predicting foreshadowed stuff like that when it comes to a movie. But in this instance, I was actually pretty proud of myself that I predicted he was going to die only because now I'm not, I will say this right up front. I'm not an X-Men fan, which I think is what really helped me enjoy all the previous X-Men films that have come out is because I was not personally invested one bit. So when the first X-Men movie came out, and impressed the shit out of me. All my friends were like, eh, they fucked this up, they fucked it. I hate this goddamn I loved it, because I, you know, to me, X-Men had always been kind yeah, of no, yeah. Anyway, so, but, uh, 
you know, in the interim, I've kind of tried to educate myself at least a bit to, to at least know who the characters were. And this black guy, I had no idea. I kept thinking maybe he was Maggot, was the only one I could think of. So when they revealed him, I can't even remember what they said his, his name was. I kept thinking, Darwin. this guy's going to die, only because I have no idea who he is. And so when he when they did kill him off, I wasn't really surprised. Um but I think it would have been more ironic if he had been like a like a white guy in a red shirt or something. I think that would have actually been a lot funnier, just as in joke. But uh, I'm sorry, I don't need to go so long in this part. I'll wrap my up my thoughts real quick. Um, I agree with whoever said it about Beast. Um, it's funny that I love this movie so much because it's so chock full of characters that I don't like. I have never ever liked the human looking Beast until now. He was great in this. I really sympathized with his story. I really liked him as the quintessential nerdy guy who finally starts to, you know, get a little romantic interest with the really hot girl. I liked that part. And the only thing that messed it up for me is when he finally did mutate toward the end of the movie.